0: All right, welcome to On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And I am uh, not only excited, I'm honored to be uh, joining you from the 2018 Grouse Camp. Um, 2018 St. Pierre Grouse Camp. It's a, a sort of a... Uh, tradition that I've held for going on 11 years with a bunch of friends and um, the guy sitting across from me I consider a friend and uh, that I guess is validated by the fact that he came all the way to grouse camp to enjoy the hunt with us and the guy I'm talking about is the one the only Hank Shaw uh, you you probably recognize the name for hunt gather cook uh, is really well-known website about um, foraging, hunting recipes, fishing recipes, or fish recipes, and uh, we're going to talk very specifically about pheasant, quail, cottontail. His most recent book, but we're going to do um, we're going to cover a lot of ground. But without further ado, Hank. Thanks for being at Grouse Camp with thanks, me. Thanks. for having me up. It's been a couple of years since I've been able to get in the
1: grouse woods, and uh, I mean the the roughed grouse woods, uh, <laughs> or ruffled, ruffled grouse, the ruffled partridge. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean it's uh, this is um, this is one of the environments I'm, I feel most at home, and it's nice to get back.
0: Well, I want to let's start with home. So, home for you—you you grew up as like Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey. Right? I did. I did. Um, <laughs> I don't know I, why the Bruce Springsteen Well, right you know, Bruce is from <laughs> Should down Should I say John Bon Jovi? <laughs> no, no, no I'm way more Bruce Stick with Bruce Way more Bruce Springsteen than <laughs> um,
1: So yeah, I mean, Bruce grew up down the shore And I grew up um, in inland near the Wachung Mountains And so the Wachung Mountains look like the grouse woods hmm. And so there's a feeling there that You know, from the time I was a little kid wandering around And, you know, terrorizing salamanders um i I know woods that look like this. Hmm. Uh since then I've lived in seven states all over the United States. Um you know Virginia, DC, New York, and Wisconsin, and Minnesota, and and uh, now California. So now I live uh near Folsom, which is if you're Johnny Cash fans, you know you know about the prison. <laughs>
0: That's a third musical <laughs> reference in this podcast and so we're 3 <laughs> minutes in. <laughs> there you go. Folsom, near Folsom, California. Uh-huh. All right. It's where Californians go after they shoot men in Reno just
1: to watch them die. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> it sounds like a ring of fire. <laughs> I should toe the line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How
0: long can we keep going? <laughs> Bring it. I think I'm out. <laughs> um, so I, I think you and I met – well, uh, let's so, – so back up. Uh, you grew up in New Jersey. You've been in a variety of different states. Your background um, – it was a journalist, really? I mean, that's where you kind of cut your teeth, career-wise, and that's how you, what brought you to Minnesota? Because um, you, um, you, you went to school for um, African warfare history. Do I have it right? <laughs> sort
1: sort of. So I actually started as a as a low-level chef. Okay. So I worked in restaurants as a sous chef and a line cook. I never really owned a restaurant or anything, so wasn't. I don't try to get too highfalutin about it. Right. But I started really as a cook and a, uh, and a and a chef and then did both that and journalism for a while and then just left the the kitchen for for eighteen years okay and uh, and became a journalist uh yeah i was in i, I went to the university of wisconsin madison uh, for history and my uh, my concentration was african history and and I happened to study a lot of military history so
0: that, yeah, so I, we've talked a lot about that the last couple yeah. of days in the truck because I just find that fascinating how you've, you have such a wide, diverse background and knowledge. You know, you've spent some time in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Like you said, you were a journalist. Um, one of my favorite stories is how you were the beat reporter for the Pioneer Press, St. Paul Pioneer Press, when Arnold Schwarzenegger, or not, um, when Jesse Ventura, was governor of Minnesota, and then you went to – ended up in California, <laughs> right? And yep. you were the beat reporter um, in Sacramento for when Arnold Schwarzenegger was. So you went from Ventura to Schwarzenegger and said, I'm going to start a blog. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, I've sort of bridged bridged a few things. Yeah.
1: There. I mean, I didn't um, – I, I was an investigative reporter for the Pioneer Press covering politics. So I wasn't the day-to-day reporter for Ventura, but um, – you know, I, I've more than once I've heard. I don't think that's a very fair question, Mr. Shaw. <laughs> and you know, I, Jesse had a pretty thin skin. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm actually the only person who've, who's covered both Ventura and Schwarzenegger. It's kind of the predator beat. <laughs>
0: Get back to the Capitol. <laughs> well, you got to give me a hit of uh, the other Im- impersonation, your Beavis and Butthead impersonation. Wow, you know. Settle down, Beavis. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a lot of fun at Grouse Camp in northwest Wisconsin. It, so, it, 14 years in is from the time you became a hunter is today, right? so Pretty close. Um, yeah.
1: You, it might even be to like to the week.
0: It, well, that's interesting because you went out. Uh, you didn't grow up as a hunter in New no. Jersey, and it happened connected to that job at the Pioneer Press. Indeed. So your your buddies with the outdoors editor at the time, Chris Niskin, in mm-hmm. and how take take me from there.
1: So Niski and I were you know, became good friends because um, you know I I've, I've been an angler since before I could walk, and so I've fishing is in my blood and picking wild plants is in my blood so i was doing all that and niski and i were fishing and you know this is that first year in 2002 so and then the fall comes around and then it's time to go hunting and so he uh he's like you want to go hunting and I, you know i been kind of thinking about it a little bit off and on i'm like you know i think i kind of do so i checked uh checked with holly to make sure that she was okay with holly it is holly is your partner yes um if we had common law, she'd be my wife. But. Yeah. <laughs> um and so she was she was cool with it because Nisky had been kinda of buttering us up. So every now and again there would like a mallard would show up and were a or a couple of pheasants. Okay, so
0: you're you eating know. the wild game but yeah. you just hadn't been hunting.
1: Right. So he he kind of you know, it's it's sort of like the crack dealer and like first hits free. <laughs> I don't have a lot of experience here's with track. Your
0: you lose but I know the stuff. First it's free. Here's your here's your back strap of venison like the next <laughs> one you got to get, you got to shoot yourself, you know.
1: So, you know, that's kind of how it went down and so it wasn't actually October. It was it was a late season hunt. Um it wasn't brutally late, but I think it was somewhere in the beginning of December or the or Nov or late November cuz I remember it being cold but not
0: Vicious, and this is North. You guys went to North Aberdeen, Dakota, Aberdeen. Oh, you went to South Dakota. Okay. Yeah,
1: Aberdeen in South Dakota, and so I, you know, so you're
0: hunting pheasants.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, I, well, that was the plan.
0: For some reason, I thought your first hunt was in North Dakota hunting ducks, but that must have been, came later.
1: No, I actually only hunted ducks in North Dakota once, and that was much later. Okay. Uh, so we're in Aberdeen, and so I had never shot a shotgun before, so i shot rifles my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, targets, target shot shooting, and uh, I'm a pretty good target shooter, so I never really shot a shotgun, so he he whips out this this over and under, I think it's it was a Satori lightning, and, you know, we're in a field in South Dakota, and he throws up some milk jugs, and like... I miss one. He throws up another. I miss it again. I miss it again. I think I hit it like like I think on like the fifth time I hit it. He's like, "All right, we're good." And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was absolutely not good, so I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, but I didn't kill Chris, and I didn't kill his dog Finn. So that was the that was first. That was a. I didn't even wound him. So that's <laughs> <a> <laughs> so that's step one achievement. But I think what really hooked me on it was, you know, uh, as a as a fisherman, as a you know. I'm a pretty good fisherman. So when you're a fisherman, you're not just a guy with a rod and reel. You know uh, topography. You know underwater structure. You know seasons. You know currents. You know tides. Um, you know if the wind's blowing this way and the tide is that and it's happened to be April, you're going to fish for this over there. And so there's a lot of, of knowledge that a, that a real fisherman has, mm. a real angler, um, that's not just, you know, reeling up a fish. Um, that that there's a skill to that too, but you know the difference between just a guy with a rod and reel and an angler is is profound, mm-hmm. and so the difference between a guy with a gun in his hand, a shooter, and a hunter is profound. Mm-hmm. So what I was w- witnessing firsthand was Niskanen's ability to read ground. So you know we would go by some because we were hunting all public land, mm-hmm. so we would go by some area and Niski would look at him like, yeah, no. And I'm like, well, how do you know this? You know, so we kept going through and going through it. Finally, there was like, there's got to be birds in that. I'm like, okay, so let's walk it. So we walked it, and yeah, you know, of course, you know, it was like a, maybe a rabbit, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but nothing. I'm like, well, why? And he's like, well, the cover's not right. There's no food there. And, you know, the train is wrong. And then I looked at another place that looked really super good. And I'm like, there's got to be birds in there. He's like, yes, there are, but they're not what we're looking for. So uh, they were sharp tails. Hmm. So that we'd actually walked up on some sharp tails and I don't, I think we all missed them. I know I missed him. I think Niskanen missed him too, but his ability to say, okay, we're going to go there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like what we've been doing all weekend. Right? Uh, we're going to go, that place is right, but this place is not. And I knew that for fish and I knew that for things like mushrooms, you know, and like the, the, certain mushrooms always associate with certain kinds of trees or certain kinds of forests or certain kinds of grass. So like, I'm not even gonna bother looking for a birch bowl eat If there are no birches around, for example, um, and he knew that with with hunting, and so it was. It felt like closing a circle. So I knew how to do it with plants. I knew how to do it with fish, and here was this opportunity to learn how to do it, and and bring meat on the table.
0: Huh? Yeah. So it's very similar. People talk about figuring out the pattern or figuring the, the puzzle. It's taking all those variables, like you've done with fishing, and putting them in to a hunting pattern. And for you, it's learning this entire new. Oh, activity, right? Mm-hmm. And then, tell when did the food component come into the hunting? Where I suppose you already Bef- were before eating I eggs, eat yeah? ever shot anything that that was the first step.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the, the, I got into hunting because I wanted to. Eat. I couldn't eat all of Niskanen's ducks and pheasants, and you, know, like, <laughs> you needed your and own. And so I needed my own. And <laughs> and as a as a chef, the thing that fascinates me about game which had fascinated me about fish is the variability about it and the diversity of flavor um in the kitchen Mm -hmm. so we just i just spent the morning plucking some woodcock and you know the fat and the skin of those birds is what makes those things so unbelievable at the table so almost everybody listening to this skins their woodcock And and i get it but you know from if you if you talk to chefs you know, if you were to present a chef with a, a pair of woodcock as a present, they they will be super thankful because mm. in that world, you know, that animal or a wild pheasant or a wild grouse or something like that, it's so revered because it's a it's first of all special and second of all, there's n- you can't just go down to the, you know the cub right and and buy a grouse <laughs> right so and then the, and, the, and it doesn't taste like anything else you know. So there, that we can get into that a little bit more mm-hmm. later. But the food p- aspect of it, I you know, I really wanted that. I wanted that in my kitchen, and it was also a challenge. So you know, you, anybody, everybody here has cooked a chicken, right? So if you're if you haven't cooked, you know, you can think that a grouse or a pheasant is it just a chicken. In some ways, it is. They're cousins. You know, one's a forest chicken and one's a disco chicken. <laughs> <laughs> <And Yeah. laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they are very similar, but there's differences enough where if you think you're going to cook a, a roast pheasant the same way you're going to cook a roast chicken, you will fail.
0: Hmm.
1: So it was cracking that puzzle, in mm. addition to the actual getting of the game, that was just endlessly fascinating.
0: Hmm. So Woodcock... You know I, we're going to talk about um different birds as we mud bats yeah as we get to the but but you get mud bats worm, worm burglars right um gosh there are so worm m- burglars is might be that's new a new favorite, one for you that's huh? a,
1: that might be my favorite
0: it, 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 i think about uh people talk about like ducks for instance um you kind of are what you eat mm-hmm. right so if Ducks that eat rice a lot of people would say well those are much better tasting than ducks that eat fish
1: right I don't think I don't think you need that Minnesota a lot of people I think
0: anybody who doesn't is probably from Newfoundland <laughs> <laughs> but so, so but where I'm heading with this is so rough grouse a lot of people, enjoy right it's very Mm -hmm. mild eating berries catkins but not
1: if you have the skin and fat on it a plucked roasted rough grouse is funky in the way that the forest is like Mm. there's nothing more it tastes like the forest that you're in i mean there's there's a a huge giant layer of extra character and, Mm. and and flavor in a in a picked rough grouse versus a skinned rough grouse and I think most people listening to this are missing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, y- y- some people will be thinking, well, yeah, I've had that before and it tasted, you know, it was weird to me. Well, yeah, it's different. It doesn't eat corn. So embrace it. You know, we can talk about all the other grouse, too, because, mm-hmm. they you know, know—they're—they there's nothing more in this United States of ours that represents the regions in which we live than the grouse that live in those regions.
0: Mm-hmm woodcock right right so where ultimate my long and winding question mm-hmm. gets to woodcock and they're worm burglars they are they are eating slugs and worms yet as you said a few minutes ago like chefs mm-hmm. review you know from European um historical chefs that write about food to guys like you you know it's like woodcock oh you exactly, know, it's right? it, it, and I love woodcock too, but what you know, what makes woodcock um, kind of in many ways the pinnacle of uh, upland game bird eating? I
1: think the piece to it, like, people are like, Wow, well, I eat worms. Well, you, have you ever seen what a mallard eats? Yeah, you know, or have you ever seen what a wild turkey eats? Side note the weirdest thing I ever pulled out of a wild turkey's crop, uh-huh. a baby rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, buckets of crickets, right? Yeah, you know? yeah
0: lots of birds eat uh, insects. Yeah,
1: so, you know, that in and of itself is not going to make that bird unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what, it's hard to put a tip to flavor on because it's that and that, and that's probably the answer, mm-hmm. is that it's unique. Yeah. There, you know, you can, if I told somebody, well, yes, it's, it's a little bit like, it's vaguely snipey with a little bit of dove and a and a bit of grouse all mm. all added to it. Now that means nothing if you haven't eaten those animals. Right. So if you've never eaten wild game, I can't help you because it tastes like a, it it's so unique and it's so special in the way it tastes that there is no store-bought equivalent not even remote.
0: Yeah. So when people say, "Ah, oh, woodcock tastes like liver."
1: They're overcooking it. You're right. So the woodcock, like a few other birds, like a sage hen, is another one. Um, woodcock and a sage hand uh, and a prairie chicken and, oh, God, there's another one I'm forgetting. But they're opposite birds. So woodcock have dark meat breasts and white meat legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and weirdly, so do sage hands. Um, and so what that means is... If you were to, you know, I don't know, most people cook woodcock whole or just the breast, mm-hmm. but if you were to cook a whole bunch of woodcock legs, for example, mm-hmm. which probably doesn't happen all that much, but it would they're all, it's all white meat. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's going to blow. And then if you, the other thing about the woodcock um, the drumsticks, it's they're kind of hilarious. They look like lollipops. I mean, they they're actually sort of popeye birds, right? They have giant like round little drumsticks on them. Like so most birds have a kind of a streamlined drumstick and and these are just <laughs> bizarre little pop. <laughs> you mean you've seen them strut them in the, in the in yeah, yeah, the little, YouTube videos. I love <laughs> the YouTube
0: videos. <laughs> <mail> <laughing> <artific> yeah, they are they are a <laughs> cool bird. And that so, we're, like I said, we're at um, in Northwest Wisconsin, uh, Rough Grouse Camp. It's early October. We've been chasing woodcock, uh, rough grouse, and then. Hank, uh joins us and all of a sudden we're foraging too. And yeah. I I love foraging, but I am a very uh, I'm probably the typical forager that goes out in the springtime and gets morel mushrooms, wild asparagus, mm-hmm. maybe a leek here or there, and that's and then, about taps my knowledge. And then berries in the summer. Yeah, rasp- yeah, blackberries, mm-hmm. raspberries, blueberries. But um but you opened my eyes to how much there really is out there in the grouse woods oh, yeah. in the fall. It, so no matter – well, t- tell us a little bit about what you found grouse hunting in northwest Wisconsin just randomly dropping you in here. Mm-hmm. And you picked up some variety of mushrooms yesterday.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, so the second I got here, uh, I got out of the car. I'm like, there's mushrooms here. And how do I know? Because it's cool and moist and it's a forest, period. If you It's cool and moist and it's a forest no matter where you are. Wherever you're listening to this, you will find mushrooms. Hmm. Not going to guarantee edible mushrooms, but and that was the case. So I found, um, I don't know, like seven different varieties right here by the cabin, including one. It's quasi-edible. I mean, you can eat it, but it's not my favorite. It's It's hilarious. It's a variety of woodland puffball. Called wolf farts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm eating that one. <laughs> wolf farts. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's not not on the high list. You can eat them, but it's not my favorite. So anyway, we're walking around and I start seeing lots of mushrooms, and you know, there's ten thousand species in the United States. Holy so night. like nobody knows them all. Huh. So, so there's some some of that kind, some of this kind. I'm like all right, I'm seeing the varieties and like, and then finally I got I spotted an Amanita. Which is um, like the Emanita muscarius. So that's the red one with the polka dots. Okay. Although in this part of the world, it's usually yellow or orange with polka dots on top of it. Well, that one is you. You, you can eat it in a certain way, but it's 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 not something you really want to mess with. I'm out. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and, but what that is is that so that mushroom there is uh, it almost always lives with another another big family of mushrooms called boletes, B-O-L-E-T-E-S. And boletes include porcini and and a lot of some of the finest mushrooms that everybody wants. Hmm. Well, in the grouse woods, you don't really have porcini. Uh, At least I've never seen them. Because I think they like bigger oaks in this part of the world. Okay. And we don't want to be around bigger oaks when we're hunting
0: grouse. Right. Cows. We're looking for 10 to 15-year-old poplars and alders and mm-hmm. birch.
1: So guess what lives near poplars and alders and birch? So there's, a, there's a birch bolete, and then I'm pretty sure this other one is a poplar bolete. Hmm. So they're all in the family of lexinum. And uh, so, the, the, uh, so one key, if you're listening to this uh, and you're interested in finding this variety of mushroom, they don't have gills. Or some people call them fins. Hmm. Um, they have like a spongy, pory thing underneath the cap. So all of this whole family of mushrooms has that spongy, pory thing underneath the cap. If they're uh, white or ivory, um, and they are that that's it's an edible mushroom. Hmm. Now the Lexinum clan. Uh, which is the birch eats and the aspen bullies. So these are the ones that are everywhere here. Like we, So like you work your way through the grass woods and you're looking for grass, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, your, your, your eye sort of goes, like, Oh, look, there's a hamburger bun on the bottom. <laughs> you're right. They are
0: pretty distinctive. Yeah. And there are a fair amount out there. Oh
1: yeah. It looks like a hamburger bun. Like, Oh, I bet you that's a, that's a birch bully. And so you pick them like, Hey, birch bully. So you put it carefully in your bag. And so, you know, you got something, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And we, we, we did pretty well. And you found some black trumpets. I
0: did. I, I, I wasn't confident enough to have eaten them without you here yep. to know that I found what I thought was black trumpets, but brought them to you and you confirmed that I, uh, I picked the right and thing. And good
1: eye too. Like the black trumpets kind of hide in the underbrush. I'm, I'm a little surprised you saw them while you were grouse hunting.
0: Yeah. My dog was pointing doodles and I, w- I, they caught my eye. So <laughs> it was cause they were, they were really moist um, part of the forest. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, well, uh, berries there's berries out there right now too mm. right high yeah. bush cranberry we although we didn't find too many of those
1: we didn't like right now it's kind of tail end you know you're getting frost and so high bush cranberry is really the last thing in low bush if you mm-hmm. can find a cranberry bog um you know both grouse and and grouse uh, woodcock won't eat it but grouse will eat low bush cranberries mm-hmm. and high bush cranberries and so if you can find them you know, it's kind of a double threat. Right. So you might shoot a bird, and then, you know, you can pick up some, especially low lowbush cranberries are amazing.
0: Yeah. What about pheasant hunting in um, October in North Dakota, South Dakota, you know, uh, Montana? They, uh, there's pheasant seasons opening up now. So mm-hmm. when people are out chasing roosters, are there mushrooms they can be looking for to complement the bird?
1: I think the the most common prairie mushroom that you're going to find when you're pheasant hunting is a giant puffball. Hmm. So the giant puffballs are everywhere. Not wolf farts. Not wolf farts. Related. Related, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's just like a bi- it's like a giant, it looks like a soccer ball. Huh. And, and they're just, <laughs> I mean, they can be huge, and they can just randomly pop up in the grass of the prairie. The problem with pheasant hunting is pheasant hunting is often in farms, so there's not a lot of native habitat. But in between where you're going to walk for pheasants in like a stubble field, uh, and then the hedgerows and sure. the borders, that's where you're going to find stuff. Okay
0: and i would be remiss if i didn't mention right here right now that hank is a quail forever life member indeed <laughs> and uh quail season uh, you know that we're not too far off from quail hunting mm-hmm. what about um you know it's starting later in the year november right. but as um, you head towards the great plains and down south are there uh, mushrooms to be searching for while you're out quail hunting. It's a little late.
1: Yeah, I mean, there might be. Um, more often, you're going to find um, the last of the berries. Okay. You know, and then I live in Northern California, so we've got mountain ba- mountain quail and valley quail, and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff in the Sierra Nevada um, in that September-October season. But once you get later, you know, you're pretty much just looking for the birds themselves. You know, the, in... Arizona, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Like if you hunt desert quail late in the season, you know December, January, you'll find cactus fruit, which mm. is pretty cool.
0: It's, it's cactus fruit like um, the prickly pear. Is that what that's, you're talking about? That's
1: one of them. But okay. but all cacti have fruits on them, huh. and and the one that you see a lot when you're Merns quail hunting in the uh, in January, February, is the yellow fruits of the barrel cactus, which are
0: awesome. So w- one of the early articles I think um, I read that was written by you was a hunt with you and Niskanen in North Dakota, mm-hmm. and it was a sharp-tailed grouse. Yes, and you, you. Um, harvested rose hips rose hips that's rosehips, right and you, yeah. you boiled it well go tell me what you did exactly
1: yeah so there was rose hips everywhere and they're that prairie rose hips so they're real, they're real small so you pick a bunch of them like you basically walk around i did this when i was prairie chicken hunting too last year is you'll see them everywhere right and you'll just stop for a second and go and just put them in your game bag and then you know, at some point you, you're like, oh, I don't like a pound of rose it's my game bag. I need a bird in there too. And, <laughs> and, and <laughs> so you end up, uh, I end up drying them out because uh-huh. um, if you just eat them fresh, they're, they're okay. But if they've hit frost, they get mealy hmm. and they're not as good. Um, and then, so you dry them out and then you reconstitute them. And then you can either, what I do is I just run them through a, a food mill to separate the seeds out and it creates a, a paste that looks exactly like ketchup. Hmm. And you add a little bit of salt to it, and then it's a great little side sauce for sharp-tailed grouse. Or you can—you don't even have to strain them. You can just simmer them, right, and then um, let let them steep overnight like a tea. And then you add an equal amount. You strain it, so there's no more debris in there. So you've got that rosehip tea that's very very strong. And then you mix that one to one with sugar. Hmm. Bring it to a boil, and you have rosehip syrup. That you can use as a glaze. Like, you paint that on the sharp-tailed grouse, and it's amazing.
0: Well, speaking of amazing, you got here um, at, the day after we had started mm-hmm. um, grouse and woodcock hunting. So we had already had a few birds in the bag. You arrived in the evening, and you cooked us um, an amazing grouse and woodcock dinner Uh Walk me through the recipe, because I was um, I was cleaning the birds, handing them to you, and I wasn't watching what you were doing. I just ate everything <laughs> on the plate at the end. So what 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 was the process?
1: So I um it's a, so the the birds were skinned and, and, and um and yeah, it, so I was, I was we, just cooking. they were
0: skinned. We didn't pluck them. Yeah yeah. Well,
1: I just want to just state that at the outset. So yeah, this yeah. is a, this will be a more accessible recipe for people listening. Um, by the way, uh, I'll preface this by saying the exact recipe done with doves is on huntgathercook.com. Uh, it's and it's uh, basically it's doves with Appalachian tomato gravy. So if you look up Appalachian tomato gravy, um, you'll find my recipe. So um, the uh, so basically they had a bunch of skinned grouse and woodcock breasts. So uh, Bob pounded them out a little bit thin so that they were the even size, and that's kind of an important thing if you're ever going to do the breast meat of really any bird, because the the end near the the wishbone is fatter than the end near the tail. So you want to pound, you know, you don't have to whale on mm-hmm. it, but you know, pound them so that they're they're about even thickness. Do you
0: do that even with chickens? Pal? Oh yeah, you do, it, sure. huh? huh?
1: If I'm going to do a cutlet, sure, uh, because it cooks it cooks evenly. Yeah, and otherwise you're going to have a the tail end's going to be overcooked and the the middle of the, of the fat end could be undercooked. Sure. So that's just a, it's just a pro tip. Yeah. Um, then I, I did a pretty, s- well, it's not really a totally standard breading, but it's, you know, you, everybody here is probably breaded stuff and fried it. So you dust it in flour, you put it in a, in a mixture of egg and some sort of dairy product. Uh, in this case it was half and half and then you have breadcrumbs. So my version of it was, uh, flour with uh, cavender seasoning, which is a pretty, Pretty big seasoning down south. I hmm. see it a lot in Arkansas and, and Alabama and, and places like that. So a seasoned flour, and then eggs and and half and half. So and then instead of breadcrumbs, I smashed up a couple of sleeves of saltines, which is it sounds ghetto, but it's really
0: good. <laughs> 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 I, I didn't know there were salty It was spectacular. Yeah. But uh, the birds themselves were were spectacular, but what tied it all together and made it amazing was the tomato gravy. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's, um, it's a deep South version of like an Italian pasta sauce, but it's, but it's different in some yeah, significant it, ways.
0: Very different.
1: So it's, um, you, you start with bacon fat cause all good Southern food starts with bacon fat. Um, start with bacon fat. So you try out a, a whole bunch of slices of bacon, eat the, eat one. <laughs> by the way that's a that's a universal like if you if a, if a recipe calls for four slices of bacon if you do if you don't slice five and then eat one you're just i don't know you must some kind of monk or something i mean you just it's why you cook bacon You higher right? discipline than the rest <laughs> of us huh? uh, so you take the you, you cook some bacon and then take the bacon out and then eat one slice and then chop the rest and leave that aside and then you want about two or three tablespoons of bacon fat in there and then you need to fry up some very finely cut onions and you do that until they're nice and soft and getting to turn a little bit of brown. And then you have to thicken it a little bit. So some people thicken it with fine cornmeal. Some people thicken it with flour. And I use flour in this case. And you let that cook until you get that raw flour taste out of it. So, you know, five minutes or so. And then you add um, like a can of whole peeled tomatoes. And you crunch up each of those whole peeled tomatoes with your by hand. And now that, that matters, actually. So you usually, well, why don't I use tomato sauce or why don't I use to make diced tomatoes? Well, mm-hmm. you don't do that because diced tomatoes contain, I believe it's citric acid, or it contains something in there so that the diced tomatoes hold their shape, hmm. which is why you don't use diced tomatoes. Um, you can use fresh tomatoes, of course, too, but then you've got skins, mm-hmm. um, and that may not bother you, but it doesn't make a smooth right. or a nice tomato gravy. And smooth is the other reason why you don't use tomato sauce because you want, texture in the in the tomato gravy if you want it completely smooth then by all means use tomato sauce but so that's why i use those whole peel and you squish them up by hand and it because it sounds like well why am i doing this extra step? Mm-hmm. And that's why so you you so it cooks like that for a while and they you can add time if you want some people don't some people do you add a a nice big drizzle of of something dark and sweet So it could be, like, low-grade maple syrup. Hmm. It could be, like, traditionally it would be sorghum syrup. You could do, that like, that black Cairo corn syrup. Um, I use molasses. And it's just like a, a, you know, just a nice, good drizzle. You don't want it to be a sweet, sweet sauce, but you want to be able to taste it. Um, You could use really dark brown sugar. Uh, And then a lot of black pepper.
0: Yeah, and you had that at the end too. Mm-hmm.
1: You had it right at the end so that you can actually taste the black pepper, mm-hmm. and then you and right at, when you serve it, you stir the bacon bits back in.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it was spectacular. It's really good. <laughs> it, it, like you say, it works with dove. Mm-hmm. We had it with grouse. We had it with woodcock. Yep. Um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you could put it on a tire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, you've heard all those jo- I've I've witnessed on multiple occasions in the last 3 days oh, that, seriously! the the joke where um, well, you know, you put this on on a, a wood board, you fry it and then you eat the wood board. You yeah. must hear that joke like 3 times a day because I've seen oh, it happen over God, and over. If
1: time. I had a dollar for every time I heard that joke, <laughs> I could buy a mansion. <laughs> Like, it's like, I'll tell you what, you take, and everybody thinks it's like the, 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 that nobody's ever heard that joke. (laughs) One of my uncles did it to you like (laughs) two days ago. I
0: was like, oh gosh, Paul, you know, he's heard that one already this weekend. Yeah. (laughs) Like
1: within an hour. Yeah. You know (laughs) You know, oh, the, the only hilarious. thing I've ever I, I might agree with you on that, and even then, and I could probably make it taste good is, mus- is muskrat.
0: Oh yeah, muskrat are challenging. <laughs> well, I don't think I want to go hunting for muskrat. Yeah, most people just. But I have, tr- I have, I prob- I've probably been that that guy who's asked you some of those questions. You know, hey, you ever eaten carp? Yeah, like, yeah I'm fine carp. with
1: those questions. I mean, because it's a it's legit. Like everybody's experience is different, so. Food's a very cultural and personal and regional thing. So, I mean, we're up here in, in Wisconsin and in the upper Midwest. It's not really a catfish eating culture. Mm-hmm. But right. as soon as you hit Missouri on South, everybody eats catfish.
0: Yeah, and, and up here, they fish largemouth bass big mm-hmm. time, right? But they don't eat them. Ditch pickles. Ditch pickles. Yep, green carp. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you like largemouth bass? I don't fish for no largemouth bass. I mean, I've eaten them; they're fine. Yeah. Um, they're terrible in warm water. Yeah. They, the the meat gets a consistency of wallpaper paste. Mm. Uh, but that's true with any freshwater fish. Yeah, cold water. water fish are uh-huh.
0: t- traditionally better.
1: I I've eaten quite a few largemouth bass from Minnesota.
0: Hmm. Yeah, we had uh, small
1: smallmouth are better.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I was. Um, my K fan radio partner Billy Hildebrand and I had a fish um, fry contest: walleyes versus smallies, mm-hmm. and unanimously, everybody, not knowing, picked smallmouth as their favorite yep. between the two.
1: The cult of the walleye in the Upper Midwest is really kind of bizarre to me. Like it's, they're not that fun to catch, guys. They're just not. They're, you, you hook a, a walleye, and it's like, eh, I'm caught. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, they get big, so that's cool, but it's not like they're a good fighting fish. And then the the best thing that they've got going for them is that they make a nice, big, clean filet, mm-hmm. which is nice, mm-hmm. and they're a clean slate.
0: I think part of it, though, is what you referred to earlier about that um, figuring out the puzzle and the pattern because mm-hmm. they – they can be challenging, right? To figure out. Well, like, yes. well, now once you figure them out, like oh, they're twelve feet down, and you lindy rig them on a fresh, you know, on yeah, a, uh, you know, um, jigging a minnow. I, I appreciate
1: whatever. that for sure. But in terms of like actually bringing one in, yeah, I'd, well, I'd much rather have a small mouth on the end of my line.
0: Than well, that. yeah, that that's the fighter. <laughs> that's the fighter. Um, all right, so so you've written. Four books, mm-hmm. and your first one did have a fair amount of fish. It did, and that was hunt, gather, cook. Yep. Um, your second book was duck, duck, goose. Yes, not but, the children's book. It, the Minnesota <laughs> version, duck, duck, gray duck. Yeah, we
1: actually have a special edition. If you can find it, it's all—they're all signed, by the way. Just... <laughs> uh, third book, uh, buck, buck, moose. Mm-hmm. That's obviously venison.
0: Venison. And I'm assuming uh, because of the wideness of the audience that's been the biggest seller so far
1: um i it's hard to say because you know they didn't all come out at the same time um, that's true there's a suspect, span of about 10 years there. yeah i suspect over time that buck buck moose will probably be the biggest seller because there's just more deer hunters
0: and and i think um so you've been coming those are your first three books and you have a wildly successful blog mm-hmm. right um, you, can Hunt, honest, it, it, well, tell, you can find it at honest.
1: Huntgathercook.com.
0: You can find it right? honestfood.net. You can, but it's but way easier. Was that the original? Yes. Name? Okay. Yeah.
1: So that's a, that's a long story that we don't need to get into. Um, but so it, if you just type in huntgathercook.com, you'll find it. The, the name of the website is Hunter, Angler, Gardener, Cook.
0: And you won the James Beard Award mm-hmm. for food writing, yep. right? In, in 2013. 2013. That's awesome. That yeah. So folks not familiar with James Beard Award, it's like the Oscar for food, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's um, it's it will change your career. I mean it's a legit. I mean it's like an Oscar.
0: Huh.
1: You know, at least in our world.
0: How did it change your career?
1: Um, just being nominated actually helps a lot. So I got nominated in two thousand nine, and when you're nominated, there's only you're on the podium already. So there's only three nominees. Um, So I'm not sure if I got silver or bronze that year, but, (laughs) uh, so I, you know, I got nominated in 2009 and then I got nominated again in 2010. And that second time, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Julia and Julio, um, where she gets written about in the New York times and like her phone's ringing off the hook that happened. Huh? So I, that's, that's the, the, the spark that gave me the book deal in the first place back in 2011, um, for Hunt, Gather, Cook and, you know... The rest is kind of history, wow. you know. And then winning it in 2013 is is even cooler because you know you quite literally get a, like an Olympic medal. <laughs> there's a, there's, so a there know, there's a medal that they right, they put around your neck.
0: And is I mean, there an event where you go up to uh-huh. the microphone? Oh and yeah, head?
1: yeah. Ted Allen was the guy who put the uh, who put the uh, the medal around my neck, and he's uh, so. He's a big celebrity on Food Network. He made his... He cut his... He, you might know, also know him from Queer Eye for The Straight Guy. Hmm. Um, he was the guy who could cook on the show. Gotcha. Huh. But he's a really, really nice guy. Super nice guy. And it was just... It was, it was pretty cool that he did it. And... Um, and I was like, "Woo, yay!" And like everybody's trying to like act all cool, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm sorry, I'm doing like a, I'm doing like the icky shuffle. Yeah, me, you know, <laughs> that, that is what I love. You absolutely wear
0: the emotions on your sleeve, right? You
1: should, you should yeah. celebrate. Yeah, I mean, especially the first time. You know, like the guys who've won like six of them are like, "All right, I've been here before. Well, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, well, give me the chance to be you know a
0: little bit. Put my freak on
1: just for <laughs> thirty seconds, and then I'll go sit down again. You
0: know. <laughs> so I would have tried. So you won that in twenty thirteen. Yeah. And twenty twelve in Kansas City National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, I think was your first. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, first time that you were on our food wild game cooking stage, mm-hmm. right? And you've been there every year since. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't it, I can't believe you keep inviting me. <laughs> well, you're invited <laughs> to infinity and beyond because there's nobody better. But um, during that time, you know, 2012 in Kansas City and 13 in Minneapolis and um, 14 in Milwaukee, I'm begging mm-hmm. Hank. Like you've written about f- gathering, yeah. Hank. You've written about ducks. You've written about venison. We need a bird buck. You're right. I mean, but there's a reason, there
1: was a method for the reason why I was stringing you along for so long. As, <laughs> Can so, you explain all yeah. the
0: girls to, uh, why they've been stringing me along with, until I met my wife? That is an entirely uh, different we, conversation. Yeah, we won't go there. <laughs>
1: um, so I, re, I did Duck Duck Goose first for two reasons. One, um, people are buying duck. Uh, and to a very small extent, but people are buying duck in supermarkets now, much more than they were 10 years ago. Hmm. So I had a a non-hunting hook for it. And from a hunter's perspective, I spend more days in the field hunting ducks than anything else. Um, I live in Northern California. It's one of the biggest duck hunting places in North America. Yes, that's true. Um, We have very liberal limits. We shoot seven ducks a day and and 25 geese a day including 10 speckle belly geese which no other state has Hmm. so there's like if you're a hunter in northern california you're a duck hunter period so my personal experience in the kitchen with a variety of wild birds i was better at that at the time than i was with venison or with upland so venison came next because just quite frankly there's more deer hunters than anything else And it was time. Like I, you know, I I developed enough expertise where I could stand up on stage and people can ask me any question they want. And I have a pretty good chance that I'm going to be able to answer it. So all this time, you are right around that time, you're like, ah, do a pheasant book. I'm like, well, (laughs) yeah, I could do a pheasant book. But, you know, you you only get one shot at this, right? right? So it has to be a small game Upland bird book. And there were so many animals that I had not even hunted yet, let alone had a chance to work their way through the kitchen. That it would be, it would have been a book that would I would not have had complete experience. Mm-hmm. So it took me until now to be able to say, yeah, I've cooked these, I've the, I've cooked that, I've done this with that, and for all of the upland birds and all of the small game. So now, finally, I've got that level of expertise with you know, and quite honestly, the style of hunting that's closest to my heart.
0: Yeah,
1: and it's just you know, I mean, we mentioned it before that. Every region of North America has its own grouse, including, like, the jungle. There's a, there's a a It's not actually a grouse, but it's close enough. It's called a chachalaca, and it lives in Brownsville, Texas. It's like the jungle grouse. And, and so all of these things are out there, and they're different, you know. Um, I would have never known that sage grouse have their—I would never know that they're opposite birds with white meat legs and, and thighs until I'd hunted them. Because guess what? Everybody breasts him out. They're like, it was a dark meat bird. Mm-hmm. Like, well, halfway. Hmm. And so that personal experience, both in the field and in the kitchen, that takes time. With like, there's gotta be 30, 40 animals in that book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you, um, I learned a term from you years ago. Like um, you want to create the category killer. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, where, it, and it, you know, um, for me, Duck, Duck, Goose, you know, clearly kills, or kills the wrong word, but is the absolute pinnacle of duck um, recipe books, right? Right. There's nothing else that can rival that. And same thing with your next book, mm-hmm. um, Buck, Buck, Moose. It's like, why would you get another venison exactly. book? I mean, there's there's other takes on certain things, but when from a pure... Depth and breadth and beautiful photography. You look at duck, duck goose and buck, buck moose, and you're like, how, "How's anybody going to even try to make a better book than this?" And mm-hmm. that's what I wanted for the Upland Gamebird. I mean, so you, it, and it, you had to wait for it, and <laughs> I had to wait. But but it makes sense, right? Yeah. Because you 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 know, doing a book just about pheasants, quail, grouse, you know, maybe the the basics, mm-hmm. right? Rough rough grouse. The basics doesn't kill the category, right? Pheasant, quail, cottontail, the book you've created, you know, where it goes from squirrel to rabbit to spruce grouse. to, to snipe, sage, to you know, snipe. to,
1: you know, and then all the different kinds of grouse, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Sharpie is not a, not, sharp tailed grouse is not a prairie chicken. They cook right. different. They look different. Uh, you know, rough grouse is not a blue grouse. They're close. You can, you could cook, you can, one recipe can, you can, one recipe will work for pheasants, blue grouse, or, or roughies for sure. But they're not exactly the same, hmm. you know, and, and Snipe are not Woodcock, and they're slightly different. So there's it's a push-pull where the way we structure the book is is unique, actually. So
0: Oh, that's a great point. You you thought long and <clears throat> hard about how you were going to break this book up. Yeah. It, you know, the natural intuition is like, well, I'm going to have a section on Game Birds, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the way you approached
1: it. Mm-mm. It's, it's broken up in light meats and dark meats because, well, for one, the only white meats in the hunting world are upland game and pigs. Hmm. And nothing else has white meat. So all of the waterfowl have dark meat. All, of, all the cervids and various you know things with horns and antlers, they all, they're all they all dark meat. And so only in the upland game bird world, or really upland world, because rabbits, rabbits. rabbits are white meat and squirrels are kind of a leaner. Um. do you have the actual white meat that a lot of people enjoy eating? So you've got that. And so let's just say, you know, pheasants and let's say pheasants and the white meat grouse, which would be rough grouse and blue grouse. Um, and There's also leaners there. So like a spruce grouse early in the season is going to be kind of pink. Mm -hmm. Uh, A prairie chicken roasted whole is also going to be pink. Especially Um, a younger one. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got these, you know, hybrid leaners. Like squirrels, kind of a squirrel meat, if you've never eaten it, uh, looks like uh, chicken thigh. So it's Mm dark-ish, but not dark. Mm -hmm. Um, If I did a recipe, like here's a case, like General Tso's pheasant, which is... If you've never had my version of General Tso's chicken, which is done with Game Birds.
0: I'll cut you off there and go look it up or in the <coughs> book or on the mm-hmm. website because it's out of this world. It's, and it, it's ridiculously it, good. It, it, t, <laughs> general T-S-O apostrophe S, yeah. right? It, it is unbelievably good.
1: It's my version of what you get at cheapy Chinese restaurants. But as you might imagine, um, I've, I've done some research and it's this is, this is a real deal General Tso's recipe from... So the guy who invented it was a chef from Taiwan, uh, and General Tso was from Hunan, but it's, it's a long story. But anyway, uh, the real version is not as, as gloppy sweet as you would get at a bad Chinese restaurant. Mm. So it's a good version of General Tso's chicken. Well, I do it with pheasant breast. There isn't any reason that you couldn't do this with boneless rabbit meat or do it with grouse breasts or wild turkey breasts. Um and, yes, there's a whole section of wild turkeys in this book, and, and, like, people seem to forget that. Like, yeah, wild turkeys are upland game birds, mm-hmm. and there's a whole giant section on turkeys, and, like, well, you got turkeys in it? Because it's not in the title. Everyone gets all mad. But, like, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, you should add
0: woodcock in the title Yeah, just... snipe rails, you know. <laughs>
1: um, and and so there, so we created a system of icons next to the, so general toes is in the pheasant section, but you'll see these little icons right next to the recipe with like a, like a, a quail next to it. Cause you could use quail breast or partridges, um, you know, like chuckers or huns, mm-hmm. um, any kind of white meat that you can get boneless works great with general toes. Mm. So yeah, there's 20 some odd, 30, I mean, maybe even 30 recipes for in the pheasant chapter, but there's really like a hundred pheasant recipes in the book.
0: Yeah. The, and a lot of, things and i know one of the questions that um you know is impossible to answer right we've talked about it on the the trip what's your favorite recipe for pheasants hey i know uh but you you talked about this a little bit earlier when we were mentioning foraging in the grouse woods with mushrooms Mm -hmm. where i think you excel is you 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 think about the farm-to-table restaurants out there that chefs go to the farmer's market and find what's in season and pairs a protein with what's in season from mm-hmm. a vegetable perspective. Will you do that at a completely different level, taking what you hunt with what's in season all around us. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and what's magical about the upland world, and we've talked about this a little bit, is that no matter where you go in this entire country, there's an upland bird that you can chase and there's magical ingredients mm-hmm. in, r- right at your fingertips. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I'm glad we actually had that conversation in the truck because it, it helps me. Gonna, it's going to help me answer that question because I get asked what's my favorite recipe all the time. <laughs> and, and it's like, they're all my children. <laughs> and I he, don't have a favorite. I mean, everybody listening to this has really a favorite child that they're just not going to mention. <laughs> but, but, you know, Um I think the answer is that the things that give me the most satisfaction are those dishes where they're not the dish like you can't make them. Like, I'm sorry, you're just not going to be able to make them. Um, but I'm going to give you the tools to make your own version of it. Uh, so right on the on the front page of the website right now, there's a di- there's a post called Fancy Pigeon. And it's about a band-tailed pigeon hunt that I went on. And, and if you're not familiar, band-tailed pigeons are our last native pigeon that you can hunt. Uh, it's a Western bird and they're unbelievably fun to hunt and they're tough and they're delicious. Um, and they live in beautiful places. So one cool thing about birds, uh, yeah, I suppose you could do this with small game like squirrels and rabbits, but I wouldn't cause it's gross. Um, when you clean a bird you know, the bird has a crop and there's going to be stuff in the crop and you don't want to roast a bird with stuff in the crop, because that's kind of weird.
0: <laughs> um, I've done that on accident, yeah. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> oh. Yeah, oh. it wasn't good. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but so you you pull that crop out, and it's like a little sack that's just in the the base of the neck of the, mm-hmm. of the birds. And you look and see what's in it. And in upland birds especially, it's pretty cool, because they all have a very varied diet. Except for a few, like sage grouse, only eat sage leaves. But most have a very, very diet, and most eat things that you can also eat, and seeds, and berries, and and green things, and stuff like that. So you can I can give you an indication of what you might want to serve with a with that bird. So let's take a pheasant, for example. Mm-hmm. It's an ag bird, right? Mm-hmm. So you will often find a bunch of corn in the crop of it. Mm-hmm. So that I, I, I love doing a pheasant dish where you really play with all kinds of things that are made with corn. You know, you could do grits, you could do, you could do like Appalachian sour corn, which is like, a, imagine sauerkraut, but instead of cabbage, it's done with corn kernels. Hmm. Um, you could So you can think of all, or masa, or, you know, uh, cor- grit cornmeal, or, you know, buy fish fry, which all that is is super finely ground cornmeal, that's corn flour. Um, so, you, you know, you you go with it. You know, like the, similarly, everybody seems to think that they can, they, they can make a spruce grass or a sage hen into a chicken. Well, no, you can't. Right. Like a sage hen, it eats sage leaves. Sorry, man, that's what it's going to taste like. It's not bad. It's just different. Embrace what it is. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the di- those dishes come together. They're culminations of a life l- well-lived, if you think about it. So this fancy pigeon and all the ones, I've done many, many versions of it. They're either a memento of a, of a hunt or of a of a place, so I did one called Walleye Minot.
0: Hmm.
1: Um So I would caught some walleyes, and this is we're gonna. I mean, this tells you that you can do it with anything. Sure. Um, so I caught some walleyes in Lake Sacagawea um, up in North Dakota, and there were uh choke cherries all over the place, and there was you know uh, sunflower farms, and so I I took everything that I saw around me, um, and then I just I kind of just went with it. So there's lots of barley grown in North Dakota. So I made, instead of I made a um, uh, instead of a risotto, you know, which is kind of a creamy mm-hmm. rice dish. Well, barley has the same starch so you can use the same thing using barley. Uh, and I made a, a really, really cool brown stock out of the walleye bones. Like, I really roasted those bones until they were brown which takes a while. Mm. And so that was, that's I cooked the barley in that. And then I had a, a, a choke cherry. Uh, the fancy word for it is gastrique but it's really it's just, it's just syrup with vinegar added to it so it's sweet and sour mm. um and so that was a, there was a little bit of that and then i butter poached the walleye and then uh, in sunflower oil and so i put little sunflower seeds in the barley for texture so so the the long story short is like everything in that dish made sense for north dakota right like i wouldn't necess- i wouldn't want to use olive oil in north dakota because that's there's no reason to especially when you've got really good other oils to use and and you can regionalize and make your own no matter where you are listening to this any kind any one of these dishes using like the syrup or the sweetener thing that is very big where you live maybe it's maple syrup maybe it's sorghum syrup the the kind of grain that's big where you live you know maybe it's corn maybe it's wheat maybe it's barley maybe it's something else uh maybe it's potatoes you know um and then the 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 oil where you live, so you know butter or sunflower oil or or olive oil or lard. You know, like I use a lot of lard when I'm in the desert Southwest. Hmm. And and so all of these things, like you could take, like we could walk through and do like a, a like a fried breast of a bird, and then it's just what's your oil? What's your breading? What's your fat? What's your sweet element? Right. And you can change it no matter what region you're in, and make it yours
0: let's do something like that. Cause that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, start with quail, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, you, you know, you love quail. You live in a place where you can chase uh, California Valley quail and, and mountain, mountain quail. Yeah. So when you, uh, yeah, you, you've mentioned mountain quail a couple times. I can tell there's a, there's a little twinkle in your eye when oh, you yeah. start talking mountain quail. Tell I've never hunted mountain quail. Tell me about hunting mountain quail and then what uh, what you pair it with.
1: So mountain quail um, pretty much only live in the Sierra Nevada in the Cascades. So the only places I know that you can hunt them, uh, southern Oregon, a little bit of Nevada, and California. But if like if you're looking to fill out your quail slam, come to California. Hmm. Um, they, you have to kind of be at peace with the skillet shot because they um, – they don't like to fly. <laughs> the
0: skillet shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also known in uh, some circles as Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> and in the Northwoods, ground pounding. Ground pounding. So
1: we're going to go to ground pound town. Um, <coughs> that said, excuse me, I have shot probably 60 to 65% of my mountain quail in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, but.
0: You like to eat mountain quail. Oh, songs. yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, don't, opportunity you do not get
1: many chances in any given day.
0: And most of the time, you're you're not hunting with a dog.
1: Never. Oh, no, that's not never. That's not true. Uh, a friend of mine has a dog named Bullseye that, that we hunt with. And, and Bullseye can be yeah, fairly useful. But it's not one of those things where they're scattered. Mm-hmm. And it's mountains. So mm-hmm. it's not like you can stroll through the amber waves of grain. You're, like, going up and down mountains right. in, the, in the deep pinewood forests. And you just got to put miles on and your dog not really i mean they'll help if if you if 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 three or four of us would each shot a quail the dog would be helpful
0: and the retrieve but
1: if it's just like you and me yeah. and we just shot, and we each shot a quail you just walk right to that quail and get it yeah okay um, never shoot doubles
0: yeah just so you can keep your eye on exactly when exactly you're okay. and they're
1: big they're huh. almost the size of a chucker, um and they're just gorgeous birds and the, so, what would I cook with them? Well, it depends on the season so the like the the openers in September, so you've got a bunch of berries that are still there you've got um you've got uh native California pine nuts that are there you've got black oak acorns, so you can do like acorn flour dumplings or something like hmm. that. um I do a lot of uh, spätzel, mm-hmm. uh just because it's a nice dumpling and you can you can make a spätzle dumpling light and very unique to your region um, very easily, you know, I mean, as opposed to a big old, you know, like a cat head dumpling down. Dump, south.
0: Mm-hmm. unique to the region by taking a item and turning it into flour. Exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because it doesn't have to have gluten in it to hold, to huh. hold. Um, so, you know, you've got acorns, you've got pine nuts, you've got berries, you've got, um, wild mint, you've got like pigweed, you know, is growing around. So there's, you know, you've got green elements and, so, the, so the, the the uniqueness of that environment would be pretty much the same as what I would do with that pigeon recipe that I mentioned on that's mm-hmm. on the website. So Because they live next to each other, and you hunt them at the same time.
0: Mm. So, um, I, I want to go to valley quail next, but a question before that. Mountain quail, valley quail, gambles, merns, bobwhite, any noticeable difference in the meat?
1: I'll be honest. I've never had... W- I've never, I've never, other. never done a really big taste test where like if we've done one of each quail next to each other. I think I have four species in my freezer right now, um, so I should. Huh. But just from memory, having eaten all of them, I you know it's not huge. Okay. There might be subtle differences, but it's not like grouse. Right. It's not, not nothing like grouse.
0: Right. Because a spruce to a sage to a rouse, like right. dramatically different. Big Whereas difference. Whereas quail. Uh, they're all pretty much delicate white meat. Yeah, right? yeah. All right, valley quail. You hunt valley quail quite a bit. Mm-hmm. What? Um, it, and that's a different uh, habitat that yep. you're hunting. What do you? Oak pair? chaparral. Okay. So
1: they love oak chaparral. Um, there is a state law in California that every California quail shot must fly and die in the middle of a bramble patch, <laughs> um, <laughs> where a dog
0: would be helpful.
1: Yes. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, because i mean we have bramble patches like half an acre wide oh wow um so yeah so you've got you've got blackberries um and you know involved an oak and um wild barley all the time so you you know use regular barley um and you know that you can hunt them during the mushroom season too so so the problem with mountain quail is as, as soon as you get to the rains with mountain quail well they're at 6500 feet so it's not really rain it's snow hmm. um but the valley quail are down farther so they you that would be a good one to pair, pair with mushrooms, and you can shoot them on the on the coast. They live on the on the north coast as well. Um, that one's a little bit more uh, diverse. Like there would be no one thing because they live in such a wide area.
0: Hmm. Is there a um, a surf and turf upland game bird? Like you know, if you're going to do an upland game bird, mm-hmm. is there something that uh, a particular one that Comes to mind to marry with some sort of seafood.
1: I hate the idea of surf and turf on one plate. <laughs> Sorry, I, I really. <laughs> I, I, I think it's. I don't. It was invented by casino owners in, in Las <laughs> Vegas true. for for like rubes who are like, "Oh, this is the pinnacle of luxury. A lobster <laughs> tail and a ribeye." You know, and it's like, "Oh, yeah, for it's p- true." Crying out loud. <laughs> I was going with –
0: I was thinking, oh, maybe rough grouse and crappies.
1: (laughs) Now, that said, if I'm going to make a dinner and I have like – I will typically have a fish course before a a bird course. Yeah. So that works great. So like if I have got two complementary dishes, like one after the other, that works. Um, And what I like to do is dark to light or light to dark. So if I'm doing, say, pheasants. Uh Uh-huh. I actually would like a rich fish to hmm. go before it, like salmon or trout or black cod or, you know, something with a little fat in it, bluefish. Um, so, you know, you, you if, if you have a lean white fish and then you do a lean white bird, that's there's a sameness to that that you don't want. Mm-hmm. You want to mix it up a bit. Hmm. So, that, like, consequently, if you've got uh, sharptail grouse, which is a dark meat, right. then you'd want to go with maybe walleye. Right.
0: So it. the the crappy grouse is mm-hmm. a little too same. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, if, it, if it's rough grouse, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I loved your uh, imitation of the, uh, you know, the epitome of decadence, oh, yeah. with I lobster mean, I've, tail and fillet. <laughs> it's
1: just you see these casinos in like rural Nevada, and it's just mm-hmm. nah. I got lobster tail and ribeyes, <laughs> and it's just oh
0: god. <laughs> Uh, we got a ton of Bob White quail hunters mm-hmm. listening, Quail Forever members. What's your, um, uh, you know, you got those eight Bob White quail from Georgia that you mm-hmm. got in your game bag. What are you going to find to pair that with?
1: See, the coolest thing about bobs is there's cultural tradition behind them. Mm. So in all the other quail, with the exception of, say, the, like, Mearns and Gambles, where there's Mexican traditions. Mm. There's not a lot of this is what you do with quail in the rest of the country, so you have to choose your own adventure, which is great, it's cool, so you can invent you know your own thing mm-hmm. in the South. they hold on to their food culture tighter than any other region and and with good reason, so there's all kinds of things that there's so many recipes that are amazing that exist already with for Bob White's that you don't necessarily have to stray from it too far like. Quail and grits mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, uh, quail, you know, the like a quail purlue, which is a little bit like a jambalaya. Okay. So that's the Georgia low country dish. That's amazing. Barbecued quail. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, by the way, everybody listening to this, when you eat quail, pick them up and eat them. They're not a bird for a knife and fork, period.
0: Oh, <laughs> get in there, um, just it, get in there, right? Dig in.
1: In fact, it's like uh, I've loved quail for so long. It used to be, it used to be one of my uh, dating tests. Huh. So, like, I'd go, you know, we've done a first or second date with some girl, and, and <laughs> so I'd make sure that we got quail, uh-huh. and then if she was willing to pick it up and get
0: after it, we can we can keep dating. <laughs> <laughs> quail. So you, I mentioned before, you are a quail forever life member. Mm-hmm. What about quail? Do you what what makes you love them?
1: I love them as much as I love grouse. So grouse are to cool weather in general. What quail are to hot weather. Hmm. So the desert quail are really really cool because I love the desert. Hmm. Um, from a hunter's perspective, they're they're arguably the hardest bird to hit. You know you can make an argument for for pigeons. You can make an argument for. You know, rough grouse. You know, but the problem is that you know half the people listening to this are from the west, and they'll be like, oh, "I just kill my rough grouse with a rock," you know, and yeah. like, "Well, hunt them here in Wisconsin," you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how different a bird they are in yeah. different parts of the country.
1: But the quail are never easy to hit.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, because even though, even if you if you get the opportunity for a ground pound, it's like it's like rabbit hunting. You get like three seconds, and like, and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the challenge of hitting them, I think, I I firmly believe. That the fact that I hunt doves and hunt quail a lot makes me a better shooter.
0: Hmm. S- speak about grouse a little bit. So rough grouse, you know, we've talked about some of the mushrooms, mm-hmm. chicken of the woods, we and hen in hen of the woods, we yeah. haven't brought up, um, the, chicken and chicken and chicken. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> you, um, and now you, we could have potentially found it. Do you um, are you looking for? Uh, well, obviously, you are looking for those types of mushrooms in the rough grouse woods, mm-hmm. but. Um, out um say sage grouse right do you how do you play off sage so you play off sage by going with it
1: so the problem is that everybody thinks that the sage that the sage the sage hen eats is an edible sage Mm -hmm. it's not it's an artemisia it's not actually even a sage so sage is salvia sage brush is artemisia sage brush smells amazing though so here's what you do is you like what I like to do with a and, and typically I I I only shoot one or two boom, big boomers every year. Um, if I get into them and you know I get a couple of days limits, I'll try to shoot the smaller ones so they either they're they're either hens or, or juveniles. Uh, they taste better. They're just mm-hmm. easier. They're they're less challenging to cook. They're amazing smoked. And what you do is you smoke over say mesquite or some or really or, or something uh, you know mild like oak and add some of that sagebrush in there for aroma. It's bitter as all get out, so hmm. you can't really cook with it. Um, and out beyond that, the other cool thing, like, and this is in pheasant quail, cottontails. There's a green chili, green chili sagebrush or sage grouse, because you, when you, when you're in that environment, you go to every little truck stop and diner and, and restaurant. There's a green chili something mm-hmm. like it's it's part of the environment in which they live. Is that that's that's kind of that cultural thing, like shrimp and grits. Um, so green chili, whatever green chili sage grouse is a thing. So.
0: What about spruce grouse? Do you you Mm -hmm. attack it the same way? I
1: do. I do. The the spruces are are even cooler because... It, by the way, if you shoot spruce grouse in, in the beginning of the season while there's still stuff around, they're delicious and mild and wonderful. Hmm. They don't get super piney until the snow hits. Okay, while
0: there's stuff around, you're talking about they're eating berries and exactly. different things like that. I,
1: exactly, they don't want to eat just spruce spruce mm-hmm. needles. I mean, they, they do because they live in a nasty cold boreal forest. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but you know, so they eat light and wonderful things in the you know in the fall. But as w- soon as that, as soon as everything's gone, they'll like they'll sit up in the pine trees and just sit there and eat the needles uh, when they're doing that you just have to know that it's gonna taste like pine you know it's and pine goes really well with lingonberries which happen to live exactly where spruce grass mm-hmm. live so so i have a recipe in the website i do it with partridges but i've got a recipe in the book uh, of um, partridges with uh, cranberries and so that with spruce grouse, that dish is dynamite. Hmm. And if you don't have, you know, spruce needles or pine, ne- pine needles to, to flavor the dish, you, by the way, you chop them up really fine, and they're just, it's like nor- Nordic rosemary. Um, and so if you don't have that, just use rosemary because it's a very similar flavor.
0: So, it, it, again, we're, we're talking a lot about, Items from pheasant, quail, cottontail. Hank mm-hmm. Shaw's new book um, introduced at Pheasant Fest in Sioux Falls Indeed. this past February. Um, it, it it does cover all these birds: quail, pheasants, grouse, um, turkeys. But it, it also covers yeah, wild turkey, rabbit, squirrel, um, fur bearers. Yeah, so <laughs> it, well, just wild turkeys first because a lot of folks mm-hmm. treat their wild turkey just like their butterball. And that's a oh, right. Yeah, you hear that all the time. <laughs> and and that's a the the first step in the worst step.
1: Yeah, I mean, so wild turkeys. So the wild turkeys are the animal that is the closest to the store bought version of it in the wild world. <laughs> when you're talking about a heritage turkey, so if you're talking about like a bourbon red or like I call them Gucci turkeys because they typically cost you like a hundred bucks for Thanksgiving. Um, if you're talking about one of those turkeys, they're not a lot different from a Jake. Hmm. I mean, they're virtually identical. Now, a big old rope dragger is another story, <laughs> right? So if you've got a big old, you know, nine inch, 12 inch beard, that's an old bird. So uh-huh. you've got to treat him a little different. Um, but y- y- the guts, that's, that's the gift of the turkey. It tells you how old it is, you know, unless you shoot hens and, and hens, you can never, you can never really tell. And like some States like mine, like California, you can shoot hens in the fall. Um, T- hens tend to be much more, much tend much more tender, um, but like a a, a a Jake with just like a like a pinky sticking out of his chest, um, that's a tender bird. So that's the those birds I will pluck them. I don't pluck uh, I don't pluck toms because the hmm. skin is is leathery. Um, and the other thing, no matter whether you pluck it or not, please for the love of God keep the legs and the wings.
0: Yeah, that's a good message for any. Yeah, bird, right? Because there's so many people particularly you watch it happen with pheasants all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that just drives me batty with pheasants.
0: Because the, the meat on pheasant legs. Oh. Well, right? here's, you,
1: here's a pro tip. Yeah. Pro tip for everybody who's like,
0: oh, I don't like those sinews.
1: Well, I don't either. So guess what? Buy a pair of game shears, pop those you can skin your damn bird, I don't really care. Skin that bird, pop those legs off, right? And use your game shears to cut the thigh away from the drumstick make a big old bag of thighs and a big old bag of drumsticks and cook them separate. You're welcome. I mean, here's the thing. Like <laughs> a thigh is just, there's one bone in it mm-hmm. and it's full of meat. It's like, it's this, a good pheasant thigh is the size of the palm of your hand. Yeah. And it's, a, it's my favorite part of the whole pheasant. Now the drumsticks, sure. They've got big old sinews in them, just like a wild Turkey does. Well, what do you do with them? You throw them in a crack pot with some chicken stock until the meat falls off the bone. Well, how do you get it off the bone? Super easy grab the, the end of the, th- of the drumstick that used to have the foot on it, so the skinny end. Hold it tight between your thumb and forefinger and strip the meat away from you. So what that does is you're, is you're, the hand holding the drumstick holds all of the, the sinews, and then the meat comes off. And what you're left with is what looks like a whisk. Um, and then you throw that away or you know, give it to the cat or something. And, and so then you've got all of this meat boneless meat and yeah i mean you go three days possession limit of of, that's a that's two meals
0: yeah that you can use it in soup you Mm -hmm. can use it in pasta carnitas yeah oh
1: yeah yeah carnitas is great so it's already tender right so the the only way step you got to do now is get your big old cast iron skillet i like to use lard but you could use Mm -hmm. any fat that makes you happy and get that you know maybe a quarter an eighth of an inch thick layer on on a hot skillet get that fat nice and hot lay out all your cooked out stripped out turkey meat or, or pheasant thigh meat and sear it only on one side so lay it down and don't move it hmm. and let it sit there for two three minutes so it's nice and super crispy on one side and then put it that in a burrito or in a taco and it's you know you'll never you will never waste another drumstick in your life because hmm. it's that good
0: uh, squirrels and rabbits mm-hmm. you got you get some uh, it's the first thing i ever killed was a squirrel what a gray squirrel! A gray squirrel, yeah, uh, in Minnesota. Really? Yeah. Now, was this um, with Niskanen or by this myself? Before okay. by myself.
1: And uh, so, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, I'm a pretty good target shooter. So this is in the middle of the winter on a, on a, another colleague's woodlot, lot, kind of in mean Tom Majeski. Um, and so I'm in the middle. Of the, it's it's classic Minnesota. It's like snow everywhere, cold as hell. And so I'm stalking around the grouse woods or the the squirrel woods, mm-hmm. looking for bushy tails. And it's funny, so like I'm in brand new hunter, right? So I pull like this huge bird flies by. Oh, it's a pheasant. So I pull up on it and I'm like wait, that's Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> so <laughs> so I let Woody Woodpecker fly by. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know because it was using a 22 and like that's probably not legal. And and so I'm like ah oh, good avoided game violation. And so about 20 minutes later, I, you know, you see movement and it's this bushy tail doing his thing. And I, you know, stalk up on the bushy tail real quiet. And, and I got, you know, did the old thing where you get one hand on a tree stump and you use that one hand as your, as your Mm. rifle rest. And I shot that squirrel right in the face Hmm. and like, and I was like, it it was that crazy moment. Right. So. There's the video game moment where, like, yes, great shot. I right. have succeeded at which I was setting out to do. Right. And, then I, and then the second thing is don't lose it. So I crashed right through, like, a bramble bush just to get to where that thing had dropped into the snow. And so I found, you know, the dead squirrel in the snow, and I picked it up, and it was warm. Mm. It was the first warm-blooded thing I'd ever killed. And I was 32 years old, right? Mm. So I mean, all of this—this this is the feeling that that most people listening to this, have, if you remember, think back because you were probably 10 when it happened. And I bet if you think, you can remember it because it's a big deal. And it's one of those things. It's one of the reasons why I never call what we do a sport.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with you. This yeah, is
1: a pursuit. It, it's it's a it's too important and too serious to call it a sport.
0: It's a lifestyle, is the way because it mm-hmm. it's it is a you know procuring food you yeah know, and, and when i'm walking through the woods and i and i'm holding um a grouse in my hand or in the prairie and holding the quail i'm thinking about what i'm gonna do on the um pallet or on mm-hmm. the plate right and i don't have the skills anywhere near you do right but i'm thinking oh, how do i relive this moment mm-hmm. where my dog worked Successfully, the beautiful blue sky and you know this sense of adventure, and I'm going to relive that through a meal. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is all about. It it's, really is. It's not a sport. It's not like Aaron Rodgers throwing a pass right? down the field. And it's
1: not about numbers. You know, especially for I mean, if, if you're an upland bird hunter, it is not about
0: numbers. Mm-hmm.
1: Like I love quail hunting more than most people, and. I'm perfectly happy with I, I, mean, I usually want two. You know, if I two's, two's a meal two's a two's a two's a taste. Mm. You know? Like each you know, me and Holly each get a quail. I'd like four, um, but I don't care if I don't shoot eight or ten. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the limit's ten in the West. Um and like I like I'm not sad that I didn't shoot a limit ever. You know, you you always want one. You know, you always want it's like Jose Ortega E. Mm-hmm. thing where he's got that line about, you know, killing is, is to prove that you have hunted and yeah, I'm doing horrible justice to that quote, but, but it's like you want one because then you have succeeded at which you have set out to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, um, but everything we do in the upland game bird world is basically a, a, a manifestation. The meal is a manifestation of an environment that is healthy hmm. and, you know, pheasants forever and quail forever and the RGS and the Turkey people, everybody you know the, so this so is like the turkey people is like what well, healthy forests is, there, is mm-hmm. there a slogan um, so i mean that's the, that's the case right so like what we do is we work through conservation to preserve maintain and expand a healthy environment in that we can have this pursuit in so a lot of people will say oh well you know you're just you know raising money to you can c- kill more birds i'm like well that's technically correct in that we want to have an environment in which we can continue to hunt, but the reason you want that is because that inv- the existence of that environment, first of all, it's, it, that environment is it's a healthy environment, 365, and you only hunt X number of days. Right. So, so it's, the environment is always there that, that's been healthy. And second of all, the presence of it means that we have put a finger in the dike of environmental degradation. That is the nature of what humans tend to do to an environment. So if you don't give it, give back and do something to protect those woods that we're looking at right now or the prairie or habitat for pheasants or the sagebrush sea, mm-hmm. you know, the, sa- the sagebrush sea. If you don't do something, it's going to go away because people who live urban lives who don't understand these, the, you know, don't understand it. Like, I don't care about that. sea, It just looks terrible. I hate driving through it and it'll go away and then not only will the birds that we chase be gone but everything around it will be gone and then we will have suffered a horrible loss
0: yeah well said and you think about folks um you know hank's one guy hank's an independent guy he writes his own books publishes his own books has his own website he he's not getting paid by anybody Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yet, and, and although you, it, it would be make me happy. Yeah. To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, he's not a rich guy by any stretch. Yet, out of every single copy of Pheasant Quail Cottontail, mm-hmm. he makes a donation to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, for this organization to continue that habitat mission, mm-hmm. which you so eloquently articulated why it's important. And then, so so he agreed to do that. Then he goes and donates and becomes a Quail Forever Life member. And then he also goes and talks to his sister. And his sister starts drawing um, images of upland game birds. Mm -hmm. And bunnies. And bunnies. (laughs) That's right. And there's a squirrel, too. Puts them on (laughs) T-shirts. And you can check these T-shirts out on his website. They're through Teespring. And they're on the front page of um, Hunt, Gather, Cook. Mm Mm-hmm. You and, could also
1: just go to Teespring and look up Hunt, Gather, Cook.
0: And and he's donating the proceeds from those T-shirts mm-hmm. to the organization. So there are tons of ways you can support Habitat through Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. One way is to buy this cookbook. Um, it's in the banquet package for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So there's a there'll be a copy at every banquet across the country um, over the course of... Um, um, over, over the course of the next year, mm-hmm. and then you can also purchase them at the um, Pheasants Forever website, Quail Forever website, mm-hmm. um, or literally wherever wherever books are, books are sold. sold. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, thanks yeah. for doing that. That's that's. Uh,
1: yeah, I'd love to see those Teespring shirts because basically they say Pheasant Quail Cottontail on them, and you can pick your pick your critter. Um, and so there's pheasants, there's quail, there's cottontail, there's uh, there's a Sharpie, uh, there's a Sharpie doing the strut. Uh, there's a snipe because I, I'm, I love snipe hunting more than, more than I should probably. And it's a real <laughs> bird, by the way, guys, it's a real bird. Um, it's like a woodcock, but half the size. And there's a turkey, there's a squirrel and there's, uh, let's have, what am I missing one? I don't think so. I think I,
0: I think that's what I got.
1: Yeah. We wanted to do a, a sage grouse, but I, I really love this, this, the sharpie doing the strut.
0: There's, yeah. It's a yeah. tremendous yeah. drawing. Um, Oh, what was, oh, you're an adult onset hunter. That's We've talked about it mm-hmm. through a variety of pieces of this conversation. It occurred to me, you know, in, in this um, world, right, the hunting world, conservation world, we're trying to figure out how to get more hunters involved in the outdoors because it leads to things just like you have talked about a moment ago. Um, more dollars going ha- into habitat, more people voting with habitat in mind. What's your perspective on um, how the industry is going about recruiting hunters to, you know, our, our lifestyle? I think, I
1: think finally everyone's aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a while. But, you know, you're seeing even guys like Michael Waddell on his TV show finally start talking about the eating aspect. Um, like, weirdly because I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll just say I'm not a huge fan, but Ted Nugent, um, at, for all his faults, has been talking about eating the game from day one. Mm-hmm. So he was a pioneer in that, actually, for all his other issues. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, so that that needs to be the constant message. It, it can't be somebody, look at the, look at the G2s on this buck. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's great. I mean, I like shooting big deer, too, but it's – you at least have to talk about the fact that you're going to eat it because this, the single biggest question that every hunter gets is, do you eat it? Mm-hmm. And, it and that is a terrible thing because that suggests that in the, uh, the eye of the non-hunter, not the anti-hunter, because they've already made their minds up, it's the non-hunter that we're out there just shooting shit for no reason. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we do. And so in the recruitment effort, there's two pieces of it. I think the food aspect is huge because we have to hammer home that what it is that we do is that the, the feast at the end of the hunt is a huge piece of it. And I don't care if you're doing chicken fried pheasant or if you're doing something fancy, it doesn't matter. It does not matter the level of skill that which you cook your game, but what matters is that you, is that you cook it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that has to be kind of a universal. Like we, as a, as everybody listening to this podcast, needs to talk about the fact that you love to eat pheasants or quail or whatever it is uh, to non-hunters. Like bring it in for for lunch at the office. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. That's a really big one. So if you make a really nice dish, and it's you know, and obviously it'll it'll reheat, bring it in to and 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 they'll smell it when you microwave it or heat it up, and you like, what is that? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's it's a pheasant stew. And I'm like, really? And then offer them something. Mm-hmm. Of so that's that's how it has to work. It it can't, you know. Organizations can do only so much. They can they can be leaders. They can be you know they can provide forums like R three, you know, ret- recruitment, retention, and reactivation. Correct. Um, that is an extraordinarily important piece of all of the different critter clubs and and departments of fishing game as well uh to have a piece to that because what happens is let, let's say you just i fed some pheasant stew to my colleague at the in the break room right mm-hmm. so my colleague's like "Oh wow, man that was really good that person could have been me right because because mm-hmm. niski gave me those pheasants before i ever picked up a shotgun right well i had niskanen if that person doesn't have a mentor for a hunter which a try your level best mm-hmm. to mentor a new hunter and and i'll be honest Everyone talks about kids. Kids don't have control over their own destiny. You know, a kid can't drive out to the grasswoods. I mean, a seventeen and seventeen or eighteen-year-old can, but right. a twelve-year-old can't. Twelve-year-old can't buy stuff. Twelve-year-old can't make an uh, an independent action that that's going to be part of that person's life forever. An adult can, I and mean, even as an eighteen-year-old. So I mean, he's still talking about kids but you're you're talking about young adults rather than you know obviously you you know if you have kids bring them up hunting for right, sure right but in terms of like reaching out to random children like inner city or whatever that's nice but i'd much rather see people reach out to young adults who can actually take you know agency over making this a part of their lives
0: and you hold events oh yeah um, when you release a book you tour the entire country, so you have first-hand experience about these folks that, you know, we categorize in a marketing world, a like foodie, the persona of a foodie mm. is a type of people that we're trying to recruit as one of the aspects of a new hunter, right? So, you see these particular people all over the country. Oh, yeah. um, how many of those folks that, you know, when you're in Spokane and Des Moines, Are already hunters, how many of them are trying to get in because of the connection to food and reading your your blog?
1: I think I see about 50% existing hunters, like traditional long-term hunters. Mm -hmm. I see about 30% hunters who have taken it up recently. Mm -hmm. And then a very small percentage of people who haven't done it yet, Hmm. but who are interested. And then there's some who just come for the food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a ton of people who are just starting out, and I get—I mean, I don't go a day without somebody contacting me on social media about, hey, I'm like, I just there's a a blind a, a cook, a young blind cook from Santa Cruz, uh, California, who wants to hunt jack rabbits and wanted yeah. some advice on how to hunt jack rabbits, and so I, I answered it, and I mean, this is one of those things where it's important for me and for everybody listening to this answer the questions. Mm um i try to answer every single question i ever get and especially from new hunters or beginning hunters because i had mentorship or you know the least that we can all do for people who are trying to pick up this pursuit is be helpful i'm not saying show them the x you know or the whatever um and but when you do show them the x teach them the etiquette and that's another thing it's like if i take you to my spot to hunt grouse or pheasants or ducks Um, you need to know that you can't come to that spot unless I'm, unless I'm there or unless you ask me and I say, yes, you can go because that's how a spot gets blown out. You know, you you know, so what happens is the, you know, if you don't, if they don't understand that, that new person comes when you're not there and then they tell their friends and Mm -hmm. so on and so on and so on. It's like that, that shampoo commercial in the eighties. And then the spot's blown out, <laughs> you know? And that's a great reference. Yeah, and it's completely blown out. So, yeah. I mean, that's, it's just simple mechanical stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, and teach them, everyone needs help for this because this pursuit of ours is, is very opaque. Um, it's not obvious if you live in, an, in the iPhone world. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be, if it's going to survive, it needs to be embrace urban America. And if it doesn't, we'll die.
0: Yeah, so I'm curious a little bit more about that profile. What what is the breakdown of folks coming to the events at urban versus rural, male versus female, age? Is there a profile?
1: Um, I mean, I get all kinds. I mean, yeah. it's just every event's different, but I mean, it's it's the answer is yes to all of that. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody shows up, and I mean that's one of the beautiful things about these events is that you'll have some guy driving a you know big old dually with a you can pry my gun for my cold dead hands sticker. Next to, and I've seen this literally Mm -hmm. parking next to a Prius with a coexist sticker on it. I mean, and that's the beautiful thing of the events. And it's the, it's the really, it's in a nutshell, it's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, in my own little small way, help people of different backgrounds realize that they have at least that in common. Because this is, I'll be honest, this is not a, this is not a very fun time in American society. Uh, We're at each other's throats too much. And I think we um, are getting more and more tribal. And I think if hunting becomes the province of only one tribe, it will lose. Yeah.
0: Well said. Thank you very much for for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for coming all the (laughs) way to northern Wisconsin for grouse camp. Um, If folks want to see you on tour, Mm -hmm. uh, interact with you on social media, how do they find you?
1: So I'm on uh, I'm I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm hunt gather cook there. I'm um, on Facebook. There's a forum I run called hunt gather cook. That's a closed forum. But say that you heard uh, you heard me on this podcast, and I will let you in. We do that because um, I don't like Indonesian spammers or you know no. that kind of stuff. So we want to make sure that you're real and that you have an interest in this pursuit. So um, I'm also my website is huntgathercook.com. That's hunter angler gardener cook. And that is where you will always find my current events. There's just a little tab that says, "Hey, where's Hank?" Um, and I've got all my events on the Facebook page and on the website. So I'll be touring until December 9th. I'm in the I'm in the Upper Midwest until November. Then I'll be in the DC area, and then finally I'll have my homecoming dinner <laughs> in Sacramento on, on December
0: 9th. Oh, the county, So how big is that? That ton of People, because I know you have a local restaurant. Well, you always hold it at. Right? I hope it's going to be a big Yeah, <laughs> that's that's awesome. Because you do that at the end of every book, right? Yeah,
1: I always like. I often will have an event in in the Sacramento area in the beginning of a book tour as a kickoff, yeah. and then I do the homecoming. Like I'm, so I feel like Odysseus. You know, yeah. like I'm back off in the, <laughs> the crazy seas of weirdness that is book tour. And by the way, that's an entirely another podcast thing that, that we
0: should talk. Yeah. About. Do you have sirens haunting you? Uh it's it's I you might say that, but I couldn't possibly Yeah, siren there. is a town just south of you. Is so it really <laughs> be careful driving through
1: <laughs> I
0: feel like I'm between Silla and Charybdis. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh well you could also support Hank and get connected um by going to Pheasant Fe- National Pheasant Fest yeah. and Quail Classic, uh Schaumburg, Illinois, February uh twenty second, twenty third, twenty fourth. Uh, Hank will be on the Wild Game cooking stage and has been a fixture on that stage since its creation in 2012. And And, let's hope that I don't get life-threatening pneumonia this time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, is there a question you always get asked when you're on the stage?
1: Um, Other than what's my favorite recipe. um,
0: (laughs) We already went down that road. Yeah. I mean, I get that one (laughs) a
1: lot. Another one, I mean, one I get that, you know, we'll just one last pro tip before we go. Yeah. um, Is... How do you pluck them damn birds? Oh, yeah. Like, so, I mean, you saw me plucking woodcock this morning. Like, I, I, am, I am actually a mother plucker. Y- you're um, <laughs> you're a,
0: amazing mother, mother. Well, I have bird a. Plucker.
1: I've got <laughs> skills on that one that, that is just developed through practice. And, uh, you know, I'm not like any, I'm not a wizard or anything, um, but it's just practice, practice, practice. But the, here's the pro tip the pro tip is with any upland bird, this is specifically true with, with gallinaceous birds like pheasants and, and partridges and grouse and quail. Don't pick pick them when you think you should pick them. Hmm. So get them as cool as you can, as fast as you can. Which well, what that means is, if it's cool out, you're fine until you get home. But if you're if it's not cool out, you need a cooler in your truck. So get them there. Then you get home, put them in the refrigerator, whole and in the feathers. And I know people are squinching their nose out, hmm. but seriously, you'll be fine. And this doesn't work with turkeys. Turkeys have to be gutted because they're too big. Everything else will cool off fast because they're not very they're not terribly large animals. So put that in a plastic bag in the fridge, um, and then overnight. The first night is the is the hunt day, and then the next morning, keep them there. Don't 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 mess with them, and then the the earliest you can pluck them is the the second night, and then I like to do it the third morning. So well, why would you do that? So first of all, they're cold enough where they're not going to go bad at all. I mean, I've I've actually kept them in the refrigerator for a week and they're fine, even if they're gut shot because you're dealing with a um, you're dealing with a temperature that's below the level at which bad bacteria can operate. That's why you have a root mm-hmm. So, and they're not terribly insulated animals. They're not like ducks. Like ducks will hold internal heat five times as long as a pheasant because hmm. uh, it's all the, the thick down.
0: Yeah. And the thicker fat. and, and Thicker skin. fat. You
1: know, all of those are insulators. Hmm. And, and the up, these upland birds don't have that. So why do that? The reason is because the, the, the animal has gone out of rigor mortis and it's the feathers will not be tight to the skin like they will be the night after or the morning after, which is when everybody wants to pick their pheasants or their grouse or their quail, which is the exact worst time to pick those birds. So if you wait that, that full, it's really like 36 to 48 hours after they were shot in the, like they're, and again, you're keeping them as cold as you Mm -hmm. can. They pick so much easier, Hmm. so much easier. Like you'll still get some rippage because unless you're good at it, there's a rhythm to it, which I, I really want to do a um a demo on stage at Pheasant Fest of, of that rhythm and the geography of these birds that like you learn it intuitively and you know where to put your hands and, and, and which way to p- pull feathers. And once you get it, you can do it. I mean, I can pick a pheasant. I can dry pick a three day old pheasant
0: in about five minutes. And hmm. the flavor Of having the skin. Oh yeah, I mean it's dramatic.
1: It's 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 absolutely worth it. Now I don't pick every bird, but Mm -hmm. you know I pick I pick many.
0: Awesome. All right, that was the final pro tip. But go out and support um, Hank Shaw at all those social media outlets, but also uh, pheasant, quail, cottontail, wherever you can buy books, Mm -hmm. including the Pheasants Forever Store, the Quail Forever Store. And in the encore um, package of the Pheasants Forever Banquet Package for chapters, you can get a copy of the book and, and see it at banquets all around the country. Thank you for coming to Grouse Camp. Thank you for what you do for not only Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, but for the entire critter organizations, <laughs> right? Being part of the conservation community and seeing the long game, that vision for habitat, It. It makes a huge difference for a guy of your, your stature and, and your perspective to do this. So thanks very much, Hank. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This has been On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, live from a uh, grouse camp, which I'm not going to drop the pin on today because <laughs> there's only so many birds to go around. But it's been a pretty good grouse hunting season so far, probably a little bit better than expected. And the woodcock are flying. It is peak migration. So we're going to go back out into the fields in the forest and search a wild game. We will see you down the road. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Wing.